Assalamu alaikum ya, what's going on? I know this episode came uh, a little longer than anticipated. Uh, I think probably 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, inshallah, we'll see. Uh, but it's for a, a special reason. We have a special guest here today in the building. We have our brother, Muhammad uh, Noor. For those who do not know him, he's on Instagram, he's on TikTok. MashaAllah, his poetry is something special. And he spreads a lot of da'wah, a lot of khair for those uh, Muslims in the community. And he provides an insight uh, that resonates a lot with you guys, you know, as a Muslim youth from the States, uh, growing up, trying to navigate and cling on to the faith. Uh, he tells us about his journey growing up, uh, some things that he experienced. We talked about things like the importance of reputation, a good reputation, uh, navigating uh, judgment. What does judgment look like? Uh, we talked about things like guilt. Right, navigating guilt uh, with uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, our sins, the nature of sins, and overcoming some you know habits or sins that we're not so proud of. Uh, alhamdulillah, we also talked about getting ready for the month of Ramadan, uh, the virtues of Ramadan briefly. Uh, this was a beautiful conversation, and I'm so glad that I was able to meet the brother. Alhamdulillah, and uh, I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Immensely beneficial, inshallah. Without further ado. Hop into this podcast. We won't holler at y'all later. Welcome to an episode of Talk Ya Haq, the podcast where we discuss the relevant topics impacting us Muslim Western youth uh, to better connect with our faith, inshallah. And I'm joined here today with a very, very special guest, our brother Muhammad Noor. Assalamu alaikum, bro. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, bro. Uh, not a special guest, just a guest, mashallah, but I'm happy to hey. be here. Allahu Akbar, yeah bro, it's special for me it's special for Yeah me. bro, no, it's definitely special for us bro I know we had some guests, we had some, uh, not guests, we had some of our listeners Telling us, hey bro, you have to get the brother uh, Muhammad on the podcast We had some brothers, oh, we had some sisters DM us on our, on our Talk Your Health page And we're like, yep, we gotta get this going So Alhamdulillah, it's a beautiful timing It's a beautiful timing to be able to do this So uh, Inshallah, just Jazakallah Khair for joining us And I appreciate you accepting the invitation yeah, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here. It wasn't even an invitation because I was enthused to be on here. So it was like, Allah. it was it was more so me, you know, hoping and praying that I get on Talk Yahak, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro, I just want to start with, uh, subhanAllah. Uh, bro, how are you doing? Uh, like, uh, what do you do? Like, currently, I know you do poetry, mashallah, tabarakallah. Uh, I see what you do on Instagram, on TikTok, things of that sort. The da'wah that you spread, mashallah, yeah. tabarakallah. Can you just tell us a little bit about where you're at currently in life and, and things of that sort? Alhamdulillah, I'm, uh, you know, currently I'm, I'm at a stage in life where I'm trying to figure it out. You know, early 20s, you got to do what you got to do to figure out what you're doing, you know. Um, but I mean, in terms of career, Alhamdulillah, you know, I'm, I'm in the business world. So like, you know, I run my own business and things like that. So I don't, Alhamdulillah, have to worry about, you know, working for people and things like that. So that's, I'm good on that end in terms of, you know what I'm saying? Alhamdulillah, for that side. In terms of like outside of that endeavors, what I do in terms of like, you know, uh, hobbies and my day-to-day -day stuff recently just kind of been focusing on quran um just trying to learn you know tafsir and arabic and these kinds of things instead of you know just you know taking it in all together at once um and then in terms of what i put out um i try to put out as much relevant information as i can in terms of what i see so it, like for example what i'll do is like for, like i have a tiktok account so what i'll see like on my for you page is somebody arguing something or talking about some some concept and if i feel like you know i'll look at the comments and if i feel like a lot of the people in the comments are missing some base like 
you know, baseline information about Islam, I'll try to put that information out. Um, if I see uh, like someone doing something crazy and they're calling to that craziness, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll, I'll step in and be like, yo, listen, you know, just kind of make a clarification. And I think that's kind of what people um, have been gravitating towards uh, in terms of like the stuff that I put out. And then poetry, um, I'm a self-published author. I wrote my first book, Temporary Homes, in 2019. I'm working on book number two and number three right now. Inshallah, it'll be out soon. Um, working on working on some some projects in terms of things related to da'wah and like, you know, uh, things like that. Um, I've done the podcast thing. So I've, I've, I've done a lot of different things. But right now, I'm just focused on putting a few, you know, things that are beneficial out there as opposed to trying to be a jack of all trades, Allah. That's, that's what's Allah, Allah, bro, I'm gonna tell you right now <laughs> what's beautiful is hearing and seeing other brothers uh mashallah like holding firm on the deen sharing the beauty of this deen to be honest with you tell t uh, this might be controversial what i find mm -hmm. is more sisters uh <laughs> versus brothers uh yeah. sticking uh sticking to the deen and that might be controversial so when i see brothers um especially uh passionate about this dean learning the dean and it's like a few gems that i see and i'm like I, subhanallah i put you guys on a pedestal mashallah people like you people who are yeah. actively real students of knowledge mashallah you know and uh it's an inspiration to all of us one could wallahi one can only hope to be a real student of knowledge um be realistic in the definition of it Arta. um second to that i think the point about are uh, you seeing a lot of sisters? I, I think I'd agree with you. I, I see a lot of sisters um, openly practicing their Islam, and I think it, it comes with the territory of being a woman in mm. general. I think I think women generally, whenever they partake in some kind of, you know, identity, <laughs> whatever it is, like well, even if it's a religious identity, they'll they'll right. show it and rock with it more than than mm. uh, than men generally do. Um, whereas men are just like generally laid back about those kinds of things. Even like like right now, like I teach Quran. Most of the right. kids are brought by their moms. Like you'll see, you'll see moms mm. dropping off the kids. You'll see moms are very involved. Um, you'll see some dads too. But like you know, it, it's like even donation time. Like when donation time comes, it's more women like that are ready to give money to the masjid or to the you know to the duxies and stuff like that. So it's like it comes with the territory. I think of being a woman and and and, and that. So mashallah to them. But um, you know, the, with the with the thing about brothers, I think also part of the reason why you don't see a lot of brothers. Openly practicing Islam is a lot of brothers have like a safety uh, net underneath them where they can just they feel like they could just go and do whatever they want to do and then just mm. return at some point back to the fold and be like, yo, I'm Muslim, you know, alhamdulillah, mashallah, tabarakallah, and say all these words. And now they're just, you know what I'm saying? They're, mm. they're, they're like, it's easy for a brother to make toba in the public eye than sometimes it is for a sister. And that's just... It's the way the cookie the crumbles. Standard, I don't really. Think it's, it is a double standard. It's really right. tough, but sadly, it's the way that the cookie crumbles in in, in our society and in the world that we live in. It's it's, it's kind right, of yeah. right. Subhanallah. Well, mm. bro, I'm more interested in like hearing about kind of a little bit about your journey. I know you've talked about this a little bit on some other podcasts. Alhamdulillah, that I had the honor of listening to. Subhanallah, and I actually found out that you were actually not born in America. No, I was not born in America. Where I don't think that. Born, I, I don't see that as a surprise, but it's actually crazy because. Now that people who were born in the 2000s are getting older and mm. like, um, you know, like second generation Somalis are becoming more. It, it's right. crazy. I was so I was born in I was born in Kenya. I was born in a city called Gadis. It's like one of the one of the big cities. I think Nairobi, Mombasa, Gadis. Gadis is one of the big cities. So I was born there and I was raised in uh, in Dadaab, which is a refugee camp mm. not too far from Gadis. And I, we lived there until I was Maybe eight years old. We came to America when I was eight. So, 
You know, alhamdulillah, that's, that's kind of what year, what year was this? It's 06. 06. 06, got you. Yeah, yeah, so, so I want, I'm curious, man, do you have yeah. like, uh, I know, I'm, I'm sure you have recollection of, uh, you know, where you were born and that transition coming over here. Bro, like I talk to a lot of people. Uh-huh. I know that transition is a little, it's a little uh, drastic, you know? Yeah. Was that, was that the case for you? Excuse me, I have to get some water. But um, no, no, it's all good. The, the transition, the the, tr- the transition into America for me, it wasn't it wasn't too drastic because I started off in third grade. You know, when I came to America, so like being in a third grade classroom as a third grader in America, it wasn't like a rough transition. Um, I figured out the English language pretty quickly. I figured out making friends pretty quickly. But um, I do feel like in a way, I w- I grew up very sheltered because mm-hmm. uh, my parents did start me off with public school in like the first two years. And then after third grade, when I was going to, after third and fourth grade, when I was going to fifth grade, we switched to a predominantly Muslim school. It wasn't like an Islamic school per se, but they had like Arabic courses. Most of the teachers were Muslim. Most of the students were like Muslim and Somali and Arab and stuff like that, Desi. So I grew up very, I would say I grew up very sheltered in my schooling, like in terms of school. But in terms of like neighborhood and where I grew up, it was like, you know, just as bad as any other neighborhood. Um, and you know, I mean, it used to be, I mean, I still live in the same neighborhood that I grew up in, you know what I'm saying? And it used to be kind of unsafe, but now it's kind of, alhamdulillah, now it's good. Um, but even in that community itself, it was like Somali people everywhere. It's probably two houses, three, three houses that had, you know, one house was, um, Asians as in Vietnamese Americans. And then the other two were like African-American, like, you know, uh, African-Americans. So it wasn't Somali people. So that was that was the most cultural, you know, shock that I experienced was going from that to, you know what I'm saying. But I think, like I said, I think I, I grew up very cultured. Alhamdulillah. Mashallah, yeah. that's a beautiful thing. I'm gonna yeah. tell you right now, bro. For myself, uh, it was public school, brother, and I'm gonna tell you it was dangerous. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, I don't like, it, was, it is. My younger siblings yeah, go to public school now, oh, and oh my god, yeah. some of the stuff that they deal with. Um, in terms of like some of the stuff that they'll complain about other kids are saying to them mm. and some of the stuff that I'm hearing like because some of these kids are like third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade and what I'm hearing that the kids are talking about because like I'm close with my younger siblings than my parents were with me when I was growing up so like I'm mm. like their big brother slash like older brother dad kind of th- it's like a it's like a, a good dynamic between us so I'm closer to them and I hear what they're talking about in those schools and it's it's different than what we, what we probably used to hear when we were younger. So it's crazy. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, especially in this generation, it's getting more, more and more and more so. And I'm going to be yeah. honest with you, it was rough, especially like for me and Abdelkarim, you know, the co-host. We both yeah. had a similar background. Like we were not very instilled uh, uh, in like a like a strong madrasa, duxi, tight-knit Muslim community. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Washington and then I moved to California and back and forth. But alhamdulillah, as I got older, I was able mm-hmm. to like, you know, uh, in high school, reconnect with my, my Somali folks, you know, my Muslim yeah. folks. And it was Muslim. empowering to see. But bro, you know what I do see is for a lot of brothers who, uh, they grow up in a sheltered environment. Uh, it, and then they get older, they get a sense of freedom and it can become kind of risky, bro. Because yeah. it's like, oh, I'm tasting some freedom. It's like no one's like hovering over me. So I wonder, did you have that experience? And if so, like, how did you oh, navigate God. that if you didn't? <laughs> so when I say like I grew up sheltered, there's also another aspect of it to my parents, right? So mm-hmm. my dad in our city is pretty famous. So he's a known guy. Like everybody knows him. So everybody knows his kids too. It's like, oh, that's Muhammad. That's Hadith kid. You know what I'm saying? My brothers as well, they, they know that that's our dad. So 
one thing for sure is that since my dad is known by everybody, I'm raised essentially by the community. So if they see me messing up, they'll tell my dad. I remember there's one story of Ramadan. Um, this is like when I was younger, maybe 12, maybe, you know, 12, 13, maybe t uh, 11 years old. And I'm praying, I'm praying Salat Taraweeh. Um, actually, no, it was Tahajjud. So it was like 2 a.m. and we're praying, you know, at the masjid. And I remember um, while I'm praying, I'm playing around in Salat. So like, I'm a grown kid at the same time praying, praying, uh, playing around in Salat. So, you know what I'm saying? I think I was like cracking my knuckles every once in a while, stepping up, getting on my, like doing, uh, you know, toe raises, doing like calf, you know what I'm saying? Calf raises in the middle of Salah. So yeah. there was an old man that was right next to me. And at, at the end of Salah, you know, he knows my dad. So he, he went to my dad. I didn't see him go to my dad or anything like that. So he goes and talks to my dad. And after Fajr, because the Hajj ends usually at Fajr, we would have suhoor at the masjid. We ate the pre-dawn meal at the masjid. So... We go home after Fajr and I walk in the crib and, you know, all I know is my dad just starts, you know what I'm saying? Yelling at me. He's like, yo, what, what's going on with the Salah? Everything, you know what I'm saying? I know everything you was doing. I saw you. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure you didn't see me because if you saw me, I saw you as well. You know what I'm saying? I know if you saw. So, you know what I'm saying? It was things like that where if I was messing up, people would, people would, 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 would get a hold of me. But then as I grew up, obviously, um, and got more freedom as an adult, there were certain things that, you know what I'm saying, that you obviously get more leeway as your parents get old, they get more tired and things like that. And I think the second thing that helped me really stay on my deen, and I, I think if, if you don't have like my situation where your dad is very well known, I think setting a reputation for yourself as a person who's mm. practicing really, really helps you practice Islam. Like it really, really helps you also stay away from public sins because their sins are different, right? There's some sins that a person does in private, you know, in, in the privacy of their own home that nobody knows about, that's between them and Allah. And there's sins that a person does in public and everybody knows, you know what I'm saying? So you're out and you're smoking with your friends or you're out and you're publicly drinking or going clubbing, things like that are known and people will see, you know what I'm saying? So those kinds of sins, the only way you can really have those things and avoid those things if you have a good reputation. And I have a story about that as well. So one time... Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive me I remember there was a There was a little uh, There was a friend of mine uh, That uh, What's it called Asked me for a quick favor And me One thing I do is like You know if I have friends I always go above and beyond For my friends And I help them out So he needed to use my You know my, my debit card To buy something And he was like Yo I need your debit card To buy something um, Let me use it And I'm like Oh you know he's a good friend of mine And I'm like, oh yeah, sure, where are you at? So I'm in the campus area, I'm in the Ohio State campus area, and he's like, oh, I'm in campus area too, pull up on me and, and, and bring me the card. I'm like, okay, no problem. And this is, a, you know, I know like he's not gonna, you know, public, uh, you know, purchase something crazy with it or nothing like that. So I trust him. And so he's like, yo, I'm, I'm at the spot, come through. So I didn't know, he didn't, he just sent me an address. I didn't know what's going on in the area. And it happened to be a hookah spot. And he's like, yo, you know, uh, I'm inside, come in. So I see, the, I see, you know, the name of the place. And I'm like, oh, I know this place is a very famous place. I can't have my face shown over here. I'm telling that to myself at first. But I'm like, you know what? Forget it, man. You know, I'm, I'm like 19 at the time. I'm like, forget it, man. It doesn't matter if people recognize me or not. I have my excuse. I could tell them I was just dropping something off. So as I'm walking in, this girl that I know, that I grew up with as well, went to, you know, elementary, middle, and high school with, I know her. She comes in front of me, right in front of the door, and she she looks at me and she's puzzled. She's like, Muhammad, like, what are you doing here? This is not this is not a place for you. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not a place. I, I'm just dropping something off. Relax, you know. I'm like, don't judge. I'm on that. Like, don't judge me attitude. Like, I'm, I'm right. over here. 
And she's like, no, 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 no. I can't let you go in. What are you doing? I got to give my friend the card. So he's like, here, give me the card and I'm going to give it to him. And, you know, don't be in these kind of spaces. I don't mm-hmm. want you ruining your reputation in these kind of spaces. And that, mm-hmm. and at that moment, it clicked with me. Like, had it not been for her recognizing me in this position, you know, that protected me. Because imagine I walk in there, right? And then, you know, because Shaitan is very sneaky. He gets you used to sin at first. So you get used to people doing things around you until you get that invite. And now the temptation is even stronger. So I go in there one time. Next time I sit in there. Next time mm. I'm the one smoking. And then a couple, you know, and then the, the system goes, you know what I'm saying, how it goes. So reputation is very important. Subhanallah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's a fact, bro. I think yeah. especially once you start practicing, bro. Uh, even within your family and your your cousins and your brothers, your siblings, what they'll start doing is, you know, subhanAllah, they'll start putting you a little bit more on a pedestal. Uh, I think that was more case, like, for me and some of the other brothers I see that are more practicing. They'll call you sheikh, even though you're doing, like, you're just a practicing Muslim. You're doing a bare right? minimum. <laughs> you're doing the bare yeah. minimum, bro. Right. And they're acting like I'm issuing fatwas and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So, subhanAllah, it's, it's crazy. And uh, with that, um, I think it's multiple things. It, there's like there's pressure, uh, mm-hmm. which can be a good thing. It can keep you on your toes. Like okay, I need to hold myself to a certain uh, accountability, uh, mm-hmm. but as well as like saying okay, but I'm also doing this for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, mm-hmm. and it's that it's that uh, it's that balance. But when you talk about the judging, uh, the judging thing, like don't don't judge me, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> you know that, that culture, that's that's that a, culture. that culture. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I think that's an interesting part. Uh, I think there's two sides to it. I think there's people that are like, you know, don't judge me. And then they smoke and they but they listen to music. They listen to mm-hmm. Lil Baby and all this stuff. Uh, and they say, don't judge me, right? And then you have a camp of people who are, you know, they, they're in the wrong place in the wrong time like you were, you know? Yeah, and then 100%. somebody could like project what they think that this person's up to. So yeah. it's like, bro, how do you navigate that? That judgmental thing, especially as a youngin <laughs> with parents who have a reputation, with you having a reputation. Oh <laughs> how you navigate that, bro? Bro, let me... So here's another funny story, right? Same area, same campus area, similar situation, except this time it's the opposite, right? So I used to work Allied Universal Security. I think every young Somali guy. Bro, my brother works there, my little brother. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's worked there. So sometimes they send you to sites and you don't really have a choice. So they sent me to this area where there's a movie theater, a bar, um, and a bunch of other buildings. Mm. One of the buildings there happens to be a nightclub. So, my first week of training, they didn't order my uniform yet. You know, like Allied Universal, sometimes they're very backwards with their system. So, they didn't order my uniform yet, but they still told me to come in and get my training. So, they said the first week training, you're going to be training in civilian clothes. So, just wear whatever you feel comfortable in and, and, and pull up to the job. So, I pull up to the job and I'm wearing my hoodie, you know, my joggers, whatever. And I'm there. So that night, we happened to be patrolling specifically the uh, the nightclub. Reason being, um, it's a bar and nightclub thing. And the reason being is because I'm working in like in October, and October is college, you know, college football season. And 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 I'm at the city of Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State University is really like big. You know what I'm saying? Big football team. So everybody's drinking and it happens to be a Saturday as well where they had a football game and it was a home game. So it's a bunch of things lined All up these for me to, 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 to get caught at a nightclub that night wearing regular clothes, right? By one of the uncles at the masjid. One of the uncles at the masjid, you know, sees me. I didn't see him. He sees me. 
he's he's driving Uber that night or something, and he sees me right at, like standing right outside the nightclub with my civilian clothing. <laughs> oh, <snap>. <laughs> and I think I think you might be like thinking, you know where this is about to go, but it actually goes the opposite. So I see him yeah. at the masjid a month later. And he says, Salam alaikum, Muhammad. Like when you were over there, basically translating, when you were over there, I saw you at High Street. I was like, yeah, oh my God. I was like, I, I work there. He was like, oh, you were working there. So the thing is, like people know, like the reputation thing is, I also used to do da'wah with non-Muslims. So like mm -hmm. I used to record videos of me talking to non-Muslims, having conversations with them. Sometimes they take their shahada, alhamdulillah, some people accepted Islam with me talking to them and stuff like that. So he's thinking I'm out there giving da'wah in front of the nightclub. Mm. You see what I'm saying? But me, <laughs> me, I'm working security. I'm working for the nightclub. You see what I'm saying? So it's like he had that. And and, and the point I'm trying to make is like, mm. look how he assessed that situation. Mm. And he managed to come up with good thoughts of me. Right. Even though I'm right. wrong in that situation. And I know and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive me. But I know I'm wrong. And, 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 and he should, you know, me telling him he knows he knows I'm wrong. But the fact that he was able to have good thoughts of me in that moment. Was very very important to me, and it also clarified to me that also when you have a good reputation, people tend to have good thoughts of you as well. Um, about the point of you know that control system, like you know how do you how do you keep yourself accountable? I think a lot of people like are taught nowadays not to value public, you know, public opinion of them. But I think I think that's some of the worst advice that you can get. I think when people say, oh, you don't have to care what people think of you. I think you have to. As a Muslim, you have to. Like, it's very important that you care about how people see you as a Muslim. Mm. Um, especially if you have things that signify that you're a Muslim. Whether your name is Muhammad or you're a sister in a hijab, you have to value the way that people see you as a Muslim. And mm. granted, they may not think of all Muslims as being similar to you. But you got to think of yourself as a representative for Islam and be the best representative possible, right? Mm. And people and people hate that point because it takes a lot of accountability. And and humans, naturally, we hate account we hate holding ourselves accountable. So people don't want to hear, oh, you know, like some people don't want to hear, oh, you're wearing hijab, you represent Islam. They don't want to take that because that means they, they, they're accountable. Or brothers don't want to hear, your name is Muhammad, you got to act like a Muhammad because that holds them accountable. They don't want to be held accountable. Right? Mm. SubhanAllah, you know, I'm not a person who's as uh, knowledgeable in terms of like a hadith and stuff like this as my brother in front of me. <laughs> no, 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 stop, <laughs> but, man, stop, man. No, but I haven't brought I'm a single hadith yet, by the way. I'm just using stories no, of my life, there, so I don't know what you're talking about hadith. <laughs> there's definitely one that did come up to me, bro. I'm not going to lie to you. It was one that I heard in the khutbah about this very exact topic. And I'm going to go ahead and reference it, inshallah, in our, in our bio, in our YouTube, inshallah. Uh, but basically, it was along the lines of the Prophet Muhammad walking with one of his wives. And if, if it comes up to your mind, you could probably better explain it to me. But yeah. it, was the, it was the Prophet walking with one of his wives. And there were some sahabas that saw him. You know, walking with his uh, with a woman that they didn't know necessarily that uh, he was <clears> married, <throat> and they started walking like faster, as if you know you could imagine us in our situation. Like, oh, I see that you know, kind of getting yeah. a little bit nervous. Trying to and yeah. he stopped them. He stopped them, and he said, and and he actually told them to come. And he said, "This is my wife." Like he went out of his way to like shade. Like this is this my. So it's like it it reminds me of that. It's like making it a point. Uh, I know some people they're kind of more rebellious. Like I'm gonna mm -hmm. let them think what they want, and I think that is a, is a dangerous thing because reputation, yeah. you know, subhanAllah, is is a very important thing. 
hundred percent. Yeah, I I know the hadith you're talking about, and and I don't know the specific details of obviously because I'm not as knowledgeable as you are with hadith. But um, (laughs) yeah, the Prophet had to clear his name in a way right there. You know what I'm saying? Right. (laughs) You know, Prophet had to had to clear his name in in a way, and 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 it's and it's very important as Muslims that you know. Obviously, there's an extreme to everything, and and mm. being extreme is dangerous. Like when you right. when you make the whole point of the good that you're doing and the bad that you're doing the public perception, we know that mm. that's showing off. That's haram. Some sheikhs, you know, they, they put it to the level of shirk, minor shirk. You know what I'm saying? So that's it, that's an extreme of it. But there's another extreme where a person doesn't care about what people think, and that could actually do damage to the person as well. And mm. crazy enough, there's a ruling in hadith sciences when we. When we take, you know, for example, this person's hadith is to be taken. He's a trustworthy person in order for their hadith to be taken. One of them, you know, one of the minor ones that they look at is al-muru'ah or the public perception of the person. So if a person does something that is outside the mores and the norms of his status as a sheikh or his people, and they and they look down on that. They that might be a reason why his hadith is not taken, or that might be a reason why his hadith is seen as as not being stronger because this guy doesn't really, you know, value his his public image, his 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 his, his reputation, and public image and reputation is, is is you know put at that level of importance. Imagine you know like something that necessarily isn't haram, but you wouldn't want to see your sheikh doing it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know an example of it in like an American culture because nowadays we have sheikhs doing all kinds of things. But like for example, you, you have a sheikh and and he's and he's giving khutbah and he's got you know what I'm saying? He's got a fade and you know what I'm saying? He's wearing a chain he's, and it's not a gold chain, but it's a chain. And you're like, I don't know any sheikhs who wear chains. I don't know what's going on with this. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, are you more likely to listen to that? Because the look is very important as well, and as well as also just like the things that go with that. Reputation. I don't know if you, if I'm making sense anymore, but the reputation. No, no, no. You do make a hundred percent sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put this out there, <laughs> brother. I wear a do rag <laughs> when I sleep, especially <laughs> in high go. school. I had waves too, but I used to wear it. Uh, what you gonna call it? I used to wear it out, right? In high school, especially, uh-huh. I used to walk around. I used to not care, bro. I used to yeah. pull. I was wild in high school. I used to pull with a ma'awis. Did not care. I was that. I was that person. <laughs> no, mashallah, that's good culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is the one thing I did realize though. Like, for example, um. I talked to somebody like, oh, why don't you wear it on the podcast? I'm like, it's okay. Like, I it's, I don't really care what necessarily all oh, this person is going to like project all oh, this person is this way. Yeah. But I'm cognizant of this as something being attributed to something else. So therefore, mm-hmm. I'm not going to uh, uh, put that uh, on me. And I think this is an interesting point. We can even go a little bit more into this. Um, this idea of being in the public eye, subhanAllah. Mm-hmm. Brother, I know, mashallah, tabarakallah, you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, and your poetry is impacting a whole lot of people. Uh, uh, that's how I first came across your work. And it's it's an interesting thing, bro. So I wonder, like, man, what was that like, just starting to put yourself out there on social media? Um, from from a young age, I've always had confidence with what I what I had to say. So from from a young age, I was like, you know those little kids at the masjid who the sheikh like goes go go make adhan go go give go mm-hmm. talk about this hadith in front of the people go do this just kind of like you know one of those kids so that's that's who I was essentially growing up because um, I didn't have too much not to say shame but I wasn't too shy of of, of that um, right. but obviously there has to be substance that comes with that and so I remember because when I was younger um, maybe like getting out of high school 
And it's crazy if some of the, if some of like my family members watch this, cause I'm, I'll be saying things on the podcast that I haven't told them yet, which is funny. Cause like, we didn't know about this. Why didn't you tell, you know? Um, but I wanted to be a rapper, like coming out of high school. Like I wanted to be a rapper and like, Alhamdulillah, like I was, I had a good upbringing and all this stuff, like religious upbringing. But in my, in my mind, I was like, yo, I have bars. I want to be a rapper. Right. But like I said, you know, that upbringing, Alhamdulillah, it, it gave me a good head off my shoulders because I was thinking like, yo, if I'm making, I'm I'm thinking so far ahead. I'm like, I'm going to be a great rapper that I'm going to make so much money that when I make money and I have kids, how am I going to tell my kids to make halal income when I'm a rapper? Like, that's how far yeah. I was thinking into being, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how convinced I was of my skill. So I had, you know, I thought about it one day and I was like, you know, everything that I can do, if I do it within the confines of what's halal and haram, then I'm gonna be happy as long as it's in, with the confines of halal. Mm. And there's a there's a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's in the forty hadith of Imam Nawawi, where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam at length he talks about you know halal and haram being clear, and then he says the halal is clear, al halal bayin haram bayin, halal is clear, haram is clear. mushabbihat, and there are in between them things that are gray areas, things that you know people don't really know if it's halal or haram. And it may look halal sometimes, it may look haram sometimes, whatever the case is. And then the Prophet ﷺ says, Whoever stays away from those things, He has saved his, his religion and his honor. Once again, we're talking about honor, right? We're talking about, you know, a, 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 a reputation. He has saved his deen and his reputation by mm. staying away from those questionable things. And whoever finds himself to be constantly in shubuhat he's always in the gray areas just mixing and just you know just vibing over there and you know like people are saying gelatin's halal and gelatin's haram and he's like yo i'm enjoying my gelatin one of the days he's gonna fall into haram the prophet right and then the prophet gives a beautiful example like a shepherd who's herding his sheep around an area that is closed off a restricted border area right and that restricted border area, you keep letting your sheep graze over there, you letting them eat that grass, one day they're going to go to the other side and you're going to get in trouble because they're eating in the wrong side, right? And it's like uh, one of the one of the sheikhs gave a different example similar to this and like off the understanding of the hadith, he says, imagine you have a pet dog, you let your dog play in a dog park that is in the middle of this, you know, city and it's around other, you know, trees and grass and all this stuff and it's safe and it has a, a fence. But then you take your dog to a dog park without a fence and it's right next to a highway. That's not going to be a smart investment because now your dog might run off and jump in the highway and get hit by a car. Like, you know, that's a very gruesome example. But the point is, if you hang around the, the gray areas a lot, you're going to find yourself falling into those gray areas. And so th that that's the thing that, like, I think is, is very important for us to understand is, you know what I'm saying, to stay away from things that are questionable and, and to stay in. To stay in the halal. Subhanallah. It's a beautiful reminder, brother. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. Were you going to say something else? I was going to say, I forgot what I was answering to. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. explaining the hadith got me. I, the, no, no, that, that was fine. Just, no, but yeah, the, yeah. the idea of like uh, putting it. No, that was a beautiful reminder. Subhanallah. Putting yourself out so... there. Now I remember. Right, now right, I remember. right. Sorry right. to cut you off. Now I remember. That was like so a... putting yourself out there in the confines of what's halal. Right. Mm. So as a brother, now you got to understand. Putting yourself out there within the confines of halal mm. means that you can't be doing certain things that are not allowed and you can't be doing certain things that are gray areas because of the position that you're in. So mm. now you're a brother who gives da'wah. 
you can't be in the comment section of Instagram baddie saying, "MashaAllah, you're so beautiful with hard eyes." <laughs> even though, even say, even even though, right? You're trying to spit game and you're trying to get married, MashaAllah. Like we're not gonna say it's, you know, like I'm not gonna mm. make the judgment on it. it's halal haram, but it's a gray area, right? Some people's like, oh yeah, you know, you can go ahead and you know what I'm saying. Some people say it's haram directly. Okay, well, we're not gonna make the ruling. What I'm saying is staying away from things like that just because you're a brother who's given da'wah. Um, as an example, um, same for sisters who's given da'wah, like staying away from things that are gray areas. Like, okay, you know, that your face is not your awrah, mashallah, you're posting a video of you talking about the deen with your face. But now you're putting on makeup, okay, that's a different situation now. Okay, well, are you are you doing tabarruj? Are you not? Is that your intention? Is it not your intention? Does intention matter? We're not getting into the fiqh of that. We're not getting into the whether and what the scholars say, but we're saying... For you to be careful of that situation, potentially the haram that comes with it is better for you than to fall into it and consistently stay in that area. That's the point I'm trying to make. But yeah. right. No, definitely, bro, 100%. You know, subhanAllah, when we actually started this podcast, me and Abdul Karim, uh, at first, it, we didn't really have the deen as like a cornerstone of like, we are a da'wah, and that's how it's been perceived. Alhamdulillah, I think it's naturally because the deen is a cornerstone in our lives, and we're talking about realities that we face. So 100%. every reality that we face, we're interpreting it through the deen, only naturally. And 100%. I know that, and I know that subhanAllah, uh, one time I posted, uh, so when I was studying, right, I was uh, doing a final last quarter, and I had multiple tabs open on my computer. And one of the tabs was a YouTube video uh, of like ambient, ambient uh, sounds. I'd listen to mm -hmm. rain sounds when I'm studying. It's one of my yeah. things. I listen to when I'm studying, when I'm Helps sleeping. You out. Exactly. And one time I accidentally clicked um, a, a music one, a music ambient sound, rain, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know. I wasn't listening to it. I just paused. I was going to play it later. I had the laptop on my table. My son was playing and I took a picture of it uh, on Instagram and I said, you know, you know, the boy's keeping me busy or something like that. And I posted it and there was a, a brother that Masha Tabarakala, he has his own podcast um, and he DM'd me and he was like, uh, just giving you like uh, advice, brotherly, uh, advice. brotherly advice. You know, you're seen as someone like this, and you're listening. Uh, you're listening. You know, he said, "I'm not gonna." And I was, and I was like, "Yo, I'm not listening to it, bro. It's my fault." <laughs> He's like, bro. He said, "He's like, bro. It's not my, any of my business if you listen to music." And I said, "Bro, I don't. <laughs> I don't." It was, like, it was see, a funny. You see how you exactly. had to, you had to, you know what I'm saying? Clarify that. Right, that, right. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely one thing that it's like, uh, and also when you talk about the gray area, uh, gray area things, mm -hmm. it's beautiful that you mentioned. Uh, alhamdulillah, I was on a diet for the past year where I just like limited myself on carbs, right? And I lost like 80 something pounds, uh, close to 80 pounds. So, uh, yeah, so subhanAllah, I lost a lot of weight. I need to get on a diet, bro. I need to get on a diet. <laughs> It's a slow After carb podcast, diet. You can hopefully let me know. Hey, come on, inshallah. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, I know that the book that I'm reading, um, the, about this he said like there's certain foods that are called like landslide foods you can eat it you know within this uh this this lifestyle that you're eating but it's very easy to find yourself start you know overindulging or finding yourself going back full-blown white carbs you know mm. and it just makes me think like that gray area is something that you have to be very mindful of and i think us as a youth bro i'm gonna be honest with you when we grow up in an area where we wasn't in a gray area we was fully in the other Immersed, yeah. especially us in a public school or circumstances like a lot of us are in, we it's 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 not even a question. We was in the other side, and now we're trying to find our way back to like what's what's right, and that mm -hmm. is hard for a lot of people adjusting to what's halal and, and not feeling oh my mm -hmm. god everything is haram. 
I know a lot of people who say, man, everything feels haram. And you talk about, you know, wanting to be a rapper. Music is a big one. Yeah. You know, music is oh a big God. one. And and I wonder, bro, it's like uh, now we're entering the month of Ramadan and things of that sort. It's like, how did you like navigate that? And how did you like remove yourself from uh, from doing or listening to that and wanting to be that? You know what I'm saying? Um, Wallahi, one thing for certain is that people have different temptations and different things that affect mm -hmm. them. Um, and different sins that, that they find more, I guess, indulgence in, right? Yeah. <laughs> a funny story with me and my sheikh, right? Me and my sheikh Hassan, we're, we're together. Um, and we were, we were getting brunch, uh, one morning, right? You know, me and my sheikh be getting brunch. So what? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like for all the people out there, oh, sheikh's eating brunch now. But, um, <laughs> we were getting brunch and I remember, uh, we were at this place and, we ordered our food and we got in our food and, I'm, and we're eating and the sheikh is explaining something about Quran and Qira'at to me and he's like, you know, the differences and I can't focus. Like, I'm looking at him and I can't focus. And I'm like, what is... And then I realize Taylor Swift is playing right above me on the speaker. Like, what me and, me and sheikh are talking about Quran and like, you know what I'm saying? It's Taylor Swift playing. <laughs> and I make a comment <laughs> and I make a comment to my sheikh and I'm like, sheikh, it's so hard living here. Because this music mm. is just distraction. And we're talking about Deen. And he's like, there's music playing? And I'm like, what do you mean, Sheikh? You don't hear that? <laughs> you don't hear Taylor Swift? Like, you know, she wears? You don't, you don't hear that? And, and Sheikh and is like, he's, Sheikh is like, Wallahi, akhi, I don't. He said, I'm not tested with music. Sheikh is like, you know, Sheikh is like, he said, he said, Wallahi, I could walk into a building and music could be playing full blast. I don't hear it. And, you know, and Wallahi... It didn't make sense to me until I realized there are, well, it's true that there are certain things that are repulsive to me, but they're enjoyable, the most enjoyable experience for some people. One of them is like nicotine. For example, nicot like nicotine and the smell of smoke, like just, it, it, I hate it so much. But there's right. people that genuinely love smoking, like mm. down to even like, there, there's people that genuinely enjoy the smell of the smoke, people that enjoy Everything about it. Mm. And so like the fact that it's repulsive to me doesn't mean that somebody else isn't tested with it. Right. The point I want to make is staying away from music. If I can give advice for people who want to like learn how to get off of music and stay away from music. One of the most important things that you can do is replace a bad deed with a good deed. Um, and music, I mean, think about it. You're, you're constantly listening to music. You're constantly, uh, 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 you know, Allowing that into your into your space and into your heart, at some point those things that you're hearing in those lyrics are gonna become normalized to you. Mm -hmm. And needless to mention, the kind of music that's out nowadays, you're hearing about people giving full descriptions of their private parts, what they're doing with people, uh, or the violence that they're going through with other people, mm -hmm. the drugs that they do, the, their need and enjoyment of drugs, like all of these things. And and one of the things that is very important for us Muslims to understand is right. that. Sin builds more sin, mm. as well as good deeds build more good deeds. Sins lead to more sins, and good deeds lead to more good deeds. The more you indulge in a minor sin, it'll lead you to a major sin. And the more you enjoy, the more you enjoy a small good deed that's heavy in the scale, but it's low effort. Like the more you do, the more you do at the calf, the better your salah is going to be. So so now you have a choice Now you have a choice Okay Do I want to improve in Islam If I want to improve in Islam Then I have to build up With these small things That are so good That they're going to build me To this big level 
if I want to destroy myself, I want to go to hellfire, I got to do these small sins that lead me to, to the big sins, right? There's there's a seven-step process that shaitan takes to misguide us. And I think oh, yeah. if if there's anything that a person can take from me and write, like, write down in this podcast, let me pull up my notes because I wrote it down in my notes, right? So there are seven things that shaitan uses. There's seven goals that he has, essentially. And these seven goals are things that shaitan wants you to do and he uses another one to get you to the other one. So I'm going to start... Should I, should I start at the top or the bottom? What, what do you, what do you want to do, brother? Wherever sounds I'll, best for you. I'll bro. start at I'll start at the bottom, and then I'll, I'll show you how he gets you normalized to smaller things one by one. Right. Mm, so perfect. number one is, you know, sorry, I'm gonna start at the top because it's, it's better this way because it's a descending order. So his gotcha. number one biggest goal, Shaitan's number one biggest goal, is to make you kafir. Mm. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says. Among you is the believers and among you is the disbelievers. He wants you to leave Islam. That's his goal. That's his main number one goal is for you to leave Islam. So what are the tools that he's going to use? So his end goal being that he wants you to leave Islam. First thing he's going to try to make you do is if you're a good person, right? That he knows he can't put in your mind, just leave Islam. He's going to try to make you do major sins. So the first thing he's going to try to make you do is major sins. Now with those major sins, those major sins are the key to getting out of Islam. Why? I'll tell you why. If a person is indulging in zina, if a person is leaving off salah, if a person is drinking khamr, if a person is you know smoking weed, if a person is doing all of these major sins all the time, they have a natural thing that sins do to them called guilt. Naturally, mm -hmm. as a person who knows the right from wrong, you're going to feel guilty about those sins. And shaitan has a very beautiful way of making you backwards in your mindset. He gonna be like, dude, you feel guilty all the time not praying. You feel guilty all the time doing these sins. You feel guilty all the time drinking khamr. And the source of your guilt is Islam. So why don't you prioritize your mental health and leave this whole religion that's making you feel guilty? Bam, he got you. That's it. You're out of there. Mm. Let's, let's go down now. If he can't get you to do the major sins, he's going to try to make you do the minor sins. So you're going to do the things that lead to those other sins. Okay. So that he can't, he knows he can't get this brother to, to, to make zina, but he knows he can't avoid looking at women. So he's going to make him, he's going to get at his, lowering his gaze. Now the brother can't mm. lower his gaze. Every time you see the brother on TikTok, on Instagram, oh, mashallah, oh, look at this one. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what he's on, right? Level by level. So mm. now why is it that major minor sins lead to major sins? Because anything that is a major sin is already categorized by Allah. And minor mm. sins are only small versions of those big sins. So whereas, whereas zina is the big major sin, you looking at pornography, you looking at uh, people who are half naked, you talking to the opposite gender for unnecessary reasons, you having sexually explicit conversation with the opposite gender leads to mm. zina, right? The same way that drinking khamr might not be it, but you being in a space around it. You listening mm. to music where they're glorifying these things. Those sins can lead you to those major sins. Mm. So, same way we said. He leads you to major sins. Major sins lead you to kufr. Now, if he can't get you to do major sins, shaitan is really smart. He's been he's been at this misguidance game since Abuna Adam, right? He's, he's, been, he's been at it since Adam, alayhi salam. So, if he can't get you to do minor sins, now what is he going to make you do? He's going to try to make you fall off some good deeds. He's going to try mm. to... So, he's going to be like, man... 
you can't really get this person to start doing major sins or minor sins. How about I make him start missing his salah or start not having khushur in his salah or distract him from his good deeds or get at his, you know, his, his obedience to his mother and his father or whatever it is. So small, small steps, right? Until now he gets you normalized to sin and then bam, you're out of there. Now, if he can't get you to fall off those good deeds, he's going to try to make you pick smaller deeds over good deeds. So you'll see a brother, mashallah, he's on TikTok, he's giving da'wah, but he oversleeps for fajr. <laughs> he can't, can't wake up for fajr. you see a brother, mashallah, you know, uh, uh, he's studying Islam, he's, he's, he's all night writing, writing hadith. But the brother has no spiritual routine. He, he can't do istighfar. He can't. He has no khushu' in his salah. So now shaitan has already beaten this guy. Because guess what? He's already getting him to fall off of the big trail. After mm. that, right? If he can't get you to now change your, your spiritual routine to where you, you're not taking advantage of your good deeds. He's going to try to start making. So now you're now now between you and shaitan is, is like you're, you're, you're stronger than him. But he's still got mm. some tricks up his sleeve. He's going to be like, you know what? I'm going to start making this guy do innovations in the deen. I'm going to start making him change the deen. I'm going to start making him have, uh, 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 you know, have, um, uh, uh, you know, arrogance to where he thinks he knows better than the Prophet and, and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I'm going to start yeah. making him say things that he, ha he has no knowledge on. Say, and those are sins that are also themselves big, but shaitan is, because he's so smart, he's going to try to get you to deal with each point. One at a time, right? So, and each person, he has a specific way that he gets at each person. So mm -hmm. even sheikhs, he's getting at the sheikhs now because the sheikhs are trying to change his life. Like, what, what's going on? Nobody's safe, right? And if he can't get you to do any of those things, the last and final stitch thing is that shaitan is going to try to create drama between you and some other people. Mm. You, and, you, and, you and humans. Now, now, and the thing is, we're not saying that this is the step-by-step -step process in which shaitan does it, but these are his goals. So right. he could start at wherever with you. You might be a sheikh and he might start at major sins with you because he sees that that's a point of weakness with you. And so if you have an enemy, you have to know, right? You have to know what your enemy is on, what type of time your enemy is on and, and the way that he's getting at you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Right? All he orders you to do is evil and uh, uh, um, bad deeds, which are which are the, the, the bad sins that are that are minor sins, right. and the major minor sins, like the ones that are like publicly detested. And then and that you say something of Allah that you know not. That's that's his goal. Those are his three goals. Number one is that you do minor sins. Number two is that you do major sins. This could be kufr. That you say something about Allah, what, something you don't know. Oh, Allah made this halal, Allah made this halal. You don't know, but you're speaking about Allah without permission, without knowledge. Sure. That can lead you to kufr. You see what I'm saying? So it's good oh, to know the enemy that you're right. facing. That's the point right. I'm trying to make. Yep. Allahu Akbar. Subhanallah. Bro, I'm just out here reflecting, bro, on what you just said. <laughs> Subhanallah. No, this it's is crazy. deadly. Yeah, deadly, deadly Roman. It just shows us the nature of uh, shaitan. And the fact that he is an enemy to us. And you know, subhanAllah, a lot of us, bro, we got, you know, there's some people that we are, we're on our toes, you know, mm -hmm. but shaitan, we don't really, we're not really mindful. And all these different layers, like when you talk about the minor sin, and I just wanted to bring this up earlier, you talked about this guilt, right? You committing this sin, and now there's a guilt involved. You do zina, mm -hmm. oh my God, now I'm guilt. I feel this guilt. And it makes me think about this word that, uh, that I learned, this cognitive dissonance, meaning like mm -hmm. you're disconnected from the values you yourself hold. 
So mm-hmm. when you are acting on values that you yourself are not, you know, if you if you have values, but you're not acting on those values, then what is left for you to either change and reform those actions, right? So that you can adhere to those values mm-hmm. or you can say, hmm, maybe these are not my values. And we have a society that propagates all these different ideologies. We know, you know, there's like an A through Z. And yeah. it, 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 there's a, and it, you know, appeals to a lot of people who are already struggling uh, with these behaviors. And uh, subhanAllah, bro, I'm going to tell you straight up. Uh, and inshallah, maybe you can uh, uh, give a reminder to people like me and other people uh, uh, to myself as well. Is this nature of like khushu and salah? Like you mentioned these layers, like uh, like some of the ones that you mentioned, like zina, drinking, all this stuff. Like, oh yeah, that's not something to worry about. But when you start making your way down, it's like, oh whoa, I got a leaking bucket over here. I have something I need to work on. And I think khushu and salah is one that we especially struggle with. Like our focus and concentration in salah. When you have been adhering to the deen for an extended amount of time, we come from Muslim households. You know, you're praying. Alhamdulillah, it can become very routine. So now you talk about just like learning, like the brothers who study and they're studying, but there's no spiritual routine or connection uh, mm-hmm. to what you're learning. And we have to then internalize, what am I learning? What is the reason that I'm learning it? So, bro, I'm just interested from your perspective, your path. I know, mashallah, you embarking on the journey of taking the deen more serious in terms of learning it. Uh, what, what were some things that you picked up along the way on that regard, bro? So in regards to um, spiritual journey, <clears throat> and more specifically salah, um, it would be, well, I would be wrong for me to sit here and say that my salah is good, not even like forget perfect or like, okay, well, my salah is terrible as well. But I think, you know, as humans, we have good ones, we have bad ones, right? And and that's the point that there's different levels of reward within Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What he, like, for example, right, there's a hadith of Prophet sallallahu where he says that every action of, 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 of Ibn Adam, a human being's actions, are multiplied by 10 at the base and 700 at the, at the most, and then even more if Allah decides. And usually that's done through how good the person is, how connected they are to that action that's a good deed, their intention, their sincerity, their khushur when they're doing that. And a lot of people forget that you know, the concept of khushur isn't something that is only done in salah. And I think I think that's a mischaracterization of the concept of, of, of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with humility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Call on your Lord and do good deeds with tadarru' with, with, with humility, right? Mm-hmm. And so humility in general should be in every action that we do. So when we're taking money out of our pockets to do sadaqah, it should be humility. When we're doing astaghfirullah, you should be thinking, astaghfirullah, may Allah mm-hmm. forgive me. Subhanallah, glorified is Allah. Humble yourself, put yourself down in each and every single good deed that you do. And when you're leaving off sins as well, humble yourself because what you want, you know, you know full and well that that's not what Allah wants. So you leave it off because you know that Allah is above you. Mm. Now what? Now, now, now there's humility in that. Now you're happy. Now you can gain khushur in that specific situation. So khushur is a situational thing. Now, as for khushur, and specifically when it comes to salah, mm. I think something that's very important is first and foremost learning. Mm. Right? Learning what you're saying in salah. Learning why you're praying salah. Learning who you're praying to. The most important reason. For all of us to do good deeds is to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we don't know Allah, we can't worship Allah as He should be worshipped. Mm. Let me ask you a question, right? Hey, Didis, let me ask you a question, my brother. Hey, bismillah. 
Your grandma, you have you, your grandma still alive. Aya is still alive. Right? Alhamdulillah, yes. Alhamdulillah, yes. alhamdulillah, Aya is still alive. Okay. <clears throat> Suppose one day you're walking through the streets of Seattle, right? And you find you, random old lady comes up to you and she says, "Hey," and she knows your name. Idris, I want you to jump on one leg. Random old lady, you don't know you don't know this lady from Jack. You don't know who she is. She tells you to jump on one leg. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna be confused. I'm gonna be like, why? You're gonna be confused. You're gonna be like, why? Okay. Yeah. Imagine you in the streets of Seattle again. Mm. Your grandma pulls up on you. Brother, I'm jumping on one leg. She said, "Jump on one leg right now." She didn't even ask leg, nicely. Like she said, bunny. "Jump on one leg." What are you doing? I'm jumping on one leg. Jumping on. And one then leg. I'll be like, "Hey, what happened? Is everything okay?" <laughs> hey, what's going on? Why? But but you go ask the questions after you do that. After you do what your grandma tell you to do. Right. That's good, right? right? What's the reason why? It's because mm. one, you know your grandma. You know your grandma. She not she not telling you to jump on one leg for a stupid reason. You know there's probably some reason why she probably trying to see if your leg is still healthy or something. I don't know. Mm. Some good reason. You know you can attribute a, a, a wise reason to it. Two, so, you love your grandma, right? All right for all those other people who have like other you know people that they love in in their in their I honor her as well. Yeah, revere respect. You honor her. her. You revere and respect her. And you love her. So with that being said, you're gonna do what she tells you to do. Mm. Now, to Allah is the greatest of all examples. but Allah is telling you to do something. To some person, Allah is a stranger. <laughs> to some person, their creator, the one that manifested them, that put them in this body, that created them the way that they are, that put everything in their mouth, that put the food uh, on their table, that put the clothes on their back, that made them who they are, is a complete stranger. So how is how they going to worship Him? They don't know how they going to worship Him. And then to some people, they know Allah. They know Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Malik, Al-Qudus, Al-Salam. They know all 99 names. They know what it means. Now, now you tell me, mm. is the prayer of the person who knows Allah similar to the one who don't know Allah? Oh, subhanAllah. Night and day. Na- night and, night and day. day. Night and day. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran. Right? That those who truly fear Allah are his servants that have knowledge. And there's another beautiful thing about that ayah as well. And you know, anytime, like I told you, with my shaykh, I study a lot of Quran and tafsir with my shaykh. So one of the things that I love is the word choices of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. Mm-hmm. The way Allah chooses the words that he says, there's always intentionality behind it. Mm-hmm. The word for fear in the Arabic language is khawf. But mm-hmm. the word that Allah uses here is khashya. Khashya is a type of fear that involves information. Mm-hmm. It's a calculated fear. It's not a fear of, say for example, you have an irrational fear of spiders. It could be any spider, you're scared of it. You see mm. you see this kind of spider, you see, you're scared of it. That's khawf, you have a fear. But then you have a fear of black widows. Why? Because you know that they have a certain type of venom. But if you see another spider, you're cool with it because you know this one is not as venomous. Or, 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 or poisonous, whatever it is that you use for, for animals, right? Right. Why, why is that the case? Because you have knowledge in this fear and this fear, you know what I'm saying, you don't have knowledge. Right? Mm. So when you have fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of his punishment, you know what his punishment looks like. Some of us fear Allah just because we know he's powerful. But some of us fear Allah because we know what hell smells like, tastes like, looks like, because we read those hadiths and we read those ayahs in the Quran. We know. Mm. So we fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a little differently. Same with reward, the hope for the reward. I mean, if I never told you about Jannah, brother, you wouldn't be like. What is Jannah? Like, let me tell you about Jannah real quick. It looks like this. It smells like this. It tastes like this. You're like, okay, I'm ready to work for that. You don't know about Jannah. You're not going to work for it. You see what I'm saying? So knowledge is very important for khushu. 
Knowledge is very important for khushu'. The second, the second thing that, that I think is very important for khushu' is understanding who you're standing in front of, which is a, a form of knowledge as well. But this is knowledge that pertains to the salah, but you're standing before Allah. And you have to have the belief that you're standing before the one that made you, that fashioned you, that created you. You're standing before Allah. If I, if I stood you in front of Obama or Biden or whoever, some famous person that you really like, and you standing in front of them, you're not looking to the left or right because you listening to what they got to tell you. Mm. But when you, but when you standing in front of Allah, you going like this. You looking at your nails. You fixing your, fixing your collar. You know what I'm saying? And this is all of us. Like this is not advice. I'm not just pointing it at the person listening or you, but even myself. Allah be like, like I'm thinking to the times where I'm praying salah and I'm looking at my my, my knuckles. I'm like, yo, is that a new scar? When I get this scar, like, you see what I'm saying? No focus in the salah. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Subhanallah, bro. That is uh, so powerful, bro. I love how you mentioned this this point about knowledge, ilm, like learning. And you, you're constantly referencing, subhanallah, your time spent with the sheikh and stuff like that. Your, your mm. sheikh sitting and learning Quran, learning tafsir. I think a lot of us, even though a lot of us, alhamdulillah, maybe we're college students or we're graduates and may, maybe some professionals, we have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, certificate behind us. But we don't have a certificate or knowledge or some kind of thing that we can stand on in terms of our knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think a lot of people, we're going to talk about atheism and doubt uh, with uh, Sheikh, inshallah, um, here in Seattle next week, inshallah, that's our intention. And a lot of people struggle with these, especially because of lack of knowledge. And what, what they've been indoctrinated with the secular society and with the Christians, with their own issues is that, you know, with the Christians, it's told, you know, uh, don't ask any questions. Don't, don't 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 learn. Uh, you know, just accept faith. And but us, it's it's told to use, engage our intellect, engage our brains. You know, of course, the 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 the, the dean comes first uh, over our intellect, right? But we're supposed to engage it and learn with it. And a lot of us are neglecting this part of the dean, which I think is a it's a dangerous thing. Subhanallah. You know yeah. Education, um, the Prophet says, Muslim, that you know, seeking knowledge is mandatory on every Muslim. Mm. But there's a difference between being a student, a seeker of knowledge who's putting his effort into learning specific things in Islam or becoming an, a specialist mm. and everyday average Joe Muslims and what they should be learning. And right. in Islam, there are two types of things that you have to know about Islam. There are things that are Things that are known by necessity in Islam You have to know how to pray You have to know that when you're praying If you make sujood on a time where you're not supposed to make sujood What do you do? You're supposed to know that mm. If you get up from the second tashahud Or the first tashahud rather What are you supposed to do in that situation? Do you do a sujood? Do you get out of salah and start over? You're supposed to know those things Every Muslim Every, I'm mm. talking about from 7 to 99 Every single Muslim that is that says Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah Has to know these things That's number one Number two There are things that ulama are supposed to learn Scholars There's things that are scholastic endeavors Right? Mm. And those things the, the, the regular everyday average old Muslims Don't really have a spot in it Unless they're trying to go learn it Which is another thing they don't really have a way to get into it. Maybe, mainly because one, they might not have the tools to understand it. Or two, they might not necessarily have the desire, the push, or the drive. So as a Muslim, you have to first figure out who are you? What, what's your role? What's your rank? Right? Are you, a, are you trying to be a scholar? Or are you trying to be a, a good Muslim? 
that knows what he's supposed mm-hmm. to do. If that's the case, then there are certain things that you have to know, right? And you got to get to know those things ASAP. Mm. Also, the way that you read hadith, Quran, is different when you're trying to be a scholar versus when you're trying to be a, a, a good Muslim. I don't advise that a person who, for example, isn't a scholar or a student, a strong student of knowledge, to go delve into fiqh books deeply and look at differences of opinion without any background knowledge on where these differences themselves come from. So I'm not going to advise, you know what I'm saying, random people who are listening who aren't, you know, with their shaykh or like there aren't there's certain things that you don't read independently in Islam. But then there are things in Islam where like for example, you want like for example Idris, right? You want to read Sahih al-Bukhari today. And you're not necessarily a student of knowledge who's been studying Arabic and all this stuff. Would I say go read Sahih al-Bukhari? Yes, go. Go read Sahih al-Bukhari. And you know what? Open random chapters. Go through it. Random random chapters. Read a random hadith. Learn it. Mm. But, but, would I advise that as a casual reader of Islam, average dull Muslim, for you to take that hadith now, explain that hadith, make rulings based off that hadith, Teach it to people And the rulings that come from that hadith Right Would I advise that? No Why? Because that requires a specific type of knowledge And and wallahi bro One of the saddest things to me Is that people have no respect for Islamic knowledge And the level of disrespect that you see with people who Who have no respect is this You would not sit here today And comment on medicine If you don't have a medical degree Or some kind of background you right. would not sit here and diagnose people with mental illnesses. You would not sit here and diagnose people with this syndrome and this situation and this and that and the third. Right. When you don't have the degree to back it up. Right. The credibility. But, the but you want to sit here and give fatwas. You want to tell me that mm. this is allowed for men and this is not allowed for men. And these scholars have deferred opinions on this, that, and the third. Mm. No. That's disrespect to, to 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 people who put 20, 30 years of scholarship into Islam. One thing for sure, me, for example, I'll take myself for example. Whenever I have a question about tafsir, I hit up my sheikh. My sheikh is getting his PhD in tafsir. I'm, I know who to go to. I'm going to ask him about tafsir. But I know at the same time, my sheikh's amazing you know, knowledge on tafsir, I know that certain questions in fiqh, he might not be the best person to ask. So I have another sheikh who has a degree in Sharia, who's been studying Sharia for 20 years. I'll go hit him up. Assalamu alaikum, sheikh. I have this question about, you know, Sharia, about fiqh. I have another sheikh of mine who's really good at hadith. So I see a hadith, people are using Quran. I'm like, sheikh, what's the, what's the ruling on this hadith? Is it Sahih? Is it this? So a person has to know who to ask these questions. When, and so the lack of respect that young people have for Islamic scholarship needs to stop. Another thing. And you mentioned this point about using your mind, using your intellect in Islam. Intellect is one of two, one of two uh, results. Either you have an intellect that is humble, that is understanding, that is looking to seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is sincere. Mm. And if it's sincere, if your intellect is sincere, if what you're trying to learn is sincere, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not allow you to be misguided. Allah promises it in the Quran. Whoever follows my guidance, he will not be led astray and he will not be sad on the day of judgment. This is the translation of, this is the tafsir of Ibn Abbas on the ayah in Surah Taha. Mm. 
So if you're sincere, you won't be misguided. Now, the second situation is that you're not sincere, that a person's not sincere. A person's trying to build their ego. A person's trying to get, you know, get the name of Mufti or Shaykh or Alim or Alama or whatever. Then in that situation, your 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 intellect didn't serve you at all. Your intellect is a is a, is a disgrace to you. Your intellect is is a disservice mm-hmm. to you. Because how often do we see people that look at ayah and Quran, hadith, and they say, "I don't agree with this because I don't I don't like the way it goes with with my with my sensibilities, mm-hmm. with my Western sensibilities, with my this sensibilities. I don't like I don't like the way it agrees. I'm a feminist and I don't like this hadith that says that women should pray at home because I'm a feminist and I believe." Women should pray at the masjid. Did you study the hadith? Did you look at the hadith? How many years you put into Arabic? How many years you put into usul al-fiqh? How many, how many years did you put into looking at sahih and, 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 and weak hadith? Mm. Oh, I just don't agree with it. And wallahi, the more you see a person that, that, that's, that's teeter-tottering between, oh, I don't agree with this hadith, especially it starts at hadith. First and mm. foremost, it starts with scholarship, right? It starts with denial of scholarship and they're saying. So it starts off with, oh, I don't like that scholar. Why? Because he don't really, he, I mean, he in Saudi Arabia, he don't know nothing about what's going on in the West. I don't like that mm. scholar because he in Egypt, he don't know nothing about what's going on in America. I don't like that scholar because he's, he's too Americanized. I don't like that scholar because he's in, he's in California, but he's backwards. He's still thinking like he in Somalia. Okay, mm. so start off with that. After that, you go to the Salaf. Wallahi man, I don't really like this quote from Umar ibn Khattab, man. Umar is a little too strict, man. I like I like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. I like this, I like that. Mm. Okay. Then a person goes, okay, I don't man, I don't really like Imam this, I don't like it. I don't really like hadith. I don't really like Bukhari. Bukhari is not really the best hadith book to read. That's what they're gonna say. Then what is it gonna end up with? And any time a person gets to the level of denying hadith, it's gonna go to Quran. Because the mm. moment a person says, Oh, I don't really like this hadith, I don't like the way that it's been transmitted. Then they go to Quran. I don't like this ayah. This ayah, I don't like the modern. I, li- I like the modern understanding of this ayah. I like to apply it in a modern way. Reformism. They go, oh, I want to reform this. I want to change this. I want to. Then that person's either folds of Islam because they're trying to change the religion, like you said, yeah. cognitive dissonance. Right now, they have to make this. They have to fit their more. Well, they change the values. They, they change the values and try to Subhanallah. They try to change the values. And now fit those right. values into Islam. And you don't have Islam at that point. You have some broken up, shredded thing mm. that is left of three hadiths about mercy and four ayahs about mercy. And, and you don't have nothing about adab. You don't have nothing about hellfire. You don't have nothing about uh, 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 the Prophet wasallam said. One of the hadiths, right? One of the hadiths. And like a lot of a lot of Muslims nowadays, like subhanAllah, though, not, not a lot of Muslims, but a lot of those Muslims who like try to change Islam. If they heard this, wallahi, they'd be so sad. A man came up to the Prophet Sallallahu right? Uh, I think his I think it was Al-As ibn Wa'il or um, he was one of the older, older Quraysh uh, mushrikeen. Went, went up to the Prophet Sallallahu Said to the Prophet Sallallahu took a bone, right? Like this bone was so old, it was almost dust. Like he, he crushed it in his hand and he mm. blew it into the wind and he said, your Lord is going to bring that back to life? The Prophet Sallallahu says, yes, he's going to bring it back to life. He gonna bring you back to life, and you gonna go to hell with it. He say, "Naam wa yudhilu jannah and he's gonna bring you back to life, and he's gonna put you in hellfire. Prophet sallallahu said this, kept it straight with him. Mm. Man, what? The Prophet would never tell somebody they go to hell. You're not supposed to tell no one they're not Muslim. You're not supposed to tell this. You're not someone. You're not supposed to tell someone that what they're doing is wrong. Don't judge. The Prophet is judging this guy. Mm. 
Like what? People, so when you, when they hear things like this, they're like, oh man, this is a different Islam than what I have. So mm. knowledge is very important. The disrespect to the Islamic scholarship, that's why the first one I said, if you're sincere, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to guide you. Allah going to take care of it for you. But if you're not sincere, stay away. Stay away. Don't, don't it's wallahi for some people, and, and it's good if a person right now, Matt, look, me, person says me, I'm a person who has a lot of, who has a lot of uh, arrogance, a lot of ego, have a big ego. It's best for me not to learn Islam. It's mm. best for me to just learn how to pray and stay stay on my course. Alhamdulillah. Mm. Stay in your lane. Right? And another person, I love my people. I, I, I love the Muslims. I want I want them to be guided. I want Allah mm. subhanahu wa ta'ala to give them something good through me. So mm. I'm going to learn Islam. I'm sincere. I hope Allah keeps me sincere. I'm going to learn. That's what he says. And Allah right. subhanahu wa ta'ala guides him. And Allah gives it to him. Allahu Akbar. Subhanallah. Allahu yeah. Akbar, brother. Just Allahu Akbar. That's, that's all I can <laughs> alhamdulillah, say. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Such a, I mean, I mean, subhanallah. It's, uh, it's so critical now more than ever. I think for us, uh, when you talk about sincerity, bro, I'm be straight up with you. With the era of social media, with the with the society that we live in is hyper-individualistic and we're so um, self-absorbed mm. and so self-amazed with ourselves, it, it can make knowledge a source of using that in our toolbox of inflating our own egos. And I think that's when it becomes dangerous versus someone saying, uh, you know, I'm going to learn this deen to perfect my religion, to perfect mm -hmm. it upon myself, meaning I'm instilling mm -hmm. it uh, in my practice. And I think that, I think that is the starting stone. It's like, where can I uh, uh, better uh, my practice in this deen? And then after that, it's okay. What, what can I, what can I share? Because uh, I know what it felt like not to have this knowledge or have this insight and I know it can benefit somebody else. But uh, subhanAllah, bro, I want to pivot. I know that, you know, we have a, a couple minutes here. And I definitely want to tie this in with uh, the month of Ramadan. We, that's we, we can go over, by the way, if you don't okay. you know what I'm saying. We, a little yeah, bit no over, inshallah. I'll let inshallah. you know if it's... Inshallah. I'll, I'll let yeah, you yeah, give you a little definitely. signal. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect, right. inshallah. But yeah, I definitely want to go ahead and, and touch on uh, Ramadan, inshallah. I know a lot of people are getting ready for Ramadan. And, you know, I feel like those people... Like many of us who have been impacted, uh, you know, by uh, our own, you know, mistakes, our, our desires, uh, shaitan influencing in the wrong direction. A lot of us look forward towards this month, you know, getting mm -hmm. ready to, to feel that closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then there are those people who maybe they feel so far gone or there's that there's that demographic, subhanAllah. So I want to ask you, man, what should our mindsets be as Muslims in this ummah as we get ready to approach uh, Ramadan? Um, the and what's your approach that you're taking, inshallah? What's your personal goal and objective for this month? As well? My per so my personal goal and objective, inshallah, for this Ramadan is is two things. Um, these are the two most important advices that I would say you're ever gonna get regarding Ramadan, and I'm not saying it because I'm not saying it because I'm like bringing it to you or like I, you know, like I came up with it because I didn't. Mm -hmm. Right? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says it in the Quran, and it, it's a very important aspect of. Um, being a Muslim That you do these two things um, The first of them Is shukr So mm. I before, I before I even get to them I think two mindsets actually So these are, these are not just two things that you do But two mindsets that a person should have uh, The first and foremost of them is That a person should have the mindset of shukr Being, being thankful Being grateful um, And these I think are the two best, ex uh, best Advices because 
they're they're so general and they and they come in under everything. So here's why. Number one, shukr, right? Being thankful. Um Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Surah Ibrahim he says, and when your Lord, you know, revealed to you guys that if you were to be thankful, you would be uh, you would be more would be added for you. That if you were to be thankful, then Allah would give you more. Right? And if you were to be ungrateful, then my punishment is severe. We can't leave that part off. You know what I'm saying? We can't we can't right. leave the because yeah, gotta, we're not we're not trying to be those sides. people that leave off the yeah. adab. We gotta give both yeah, sides yeah, yeah. of the story. So first part is about, like I said, being grateful. Um the basis of all worship in reality is to be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ used to do istighfar. He used to ask Allah to forgive him. The Prophet didn't have no sins. So what was the Prophet asking Allah to forgive him for? He didn't have no sins. What was he asking Allah to forgive? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he was asked about it, he says, Awala akuna abdin shakura. Would I not be a thankful servant? <laughs> His worship, the Prophet ﷺ's whole worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was from the side of, 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 of being a, a grateful servant. Allah. Gratefulness. Right? Hmm. Um, so gratefulness increases good and it decreases evil. Like we said, good deeds lead to more good deeds. And when people think of rizq, right? You think of rizq. Let me ask you, right. like, what do you when I say rizq, what do you think? What, what comes to mind? SubhanAllah. Provision. Uh, we provision, think right? Provision. Yeah. provision, sustenance, so money. A good crib, a nice car, your son, things like that, right? right. MashaAllah. Right. So, did you know that worshipping Allah is a form of risk? Allah. Did you know that I did worshiping, not. I did not. the ability to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a risk? Allah. Right? Um, loving Allah is a risk. Mm. And so, when Allah gave you a love for Him, a, a bit of love that you love for right. Him, a bit of good deeds that you do, you pray salah, mashallah. Mm. Ramadan came to you, mashallah. You read Quran, mashallah. Some, some, some kind of good deed. You thank Allah subhanahu wa taala for it, because Allah increase it for you. That's number one. The second advice, also from increasing. The second advice is istighfar. We just mentioned the Prophet sallallahu used to ask Allah to forgive him. Seeking forgiveness and repentance. Whether you're saying Astaghfirullah, just the word, just the phrase, or you're sitting there and asking Allah to forgive you for those specific sins that you did. Whichever one it is, it has good for you. Why? Nuh alayhi salam, the first messenger, when he was talking to his people, what did he say to them? He says, I told them to seek forgiveness in their Lord. He is all forgiving. If you ask for forgiveness And Allah forgives you This is what's going to happen First and foremost He's going to send rain from the sky One of the things that happened During the time of Nuh, uh, Nuh salam, Was that the people They used to live in a dry land So when he was building this ark When he was building this big You know Big boat They could not fathom Why he's building a boat There's no water near us We're, li we're living inland It's dry What are you building this boat for? Subhanallah, and, and, and so the blessing that Allah said, if they made tawbah, Allah is going to give them a blessing, was rain. The punishment for them was rain as well. So this shows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can make something that you think is a blessing for you, or something could be a blessing for you, but it could mm. also be the source of destruction for you as well. That thing that you ask Allah, oh Allah, please give me this, 
that could be a source of guidance for you. It could be the good, the blessing that Allah gave you, or it could be the source of your destruction. Just like that rain in that dry season, in that dry land that they lived in, was the source of their punishment, it could have been the source of their good. يُرْسِلِ السَّمَاءَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِدْرَارًا وَيُمْدِدُكُمْ بِأَمْوَالٍ وَبَنِينَ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ أَنْحَارًا And then he will give you children and wives and wealth and he will give you gardens and rivers if you ask Allah to forgive you. And these, and these are things like in the Akhirah, we're talking about in the dunya. So when you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you for your sins, mm-hmm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you more rizq. And what's the highest form of risk is guidance, is mm. practicing, is being close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for me, and the advice that I give to anybody, and I think this is the best advice you're going to get this Ramadan. Obviously, mm. in addition to, to the good deeds that you're going to do this Ramadan and try to increase, this right. is the best two advices that you're going to get. Thank Allah that Allah let you make this month. Thank Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed you to see yourself doing good deeds. Thank Allah that you're praying taraweeh. Thank Allah that you're practicing. Thank Allah that you're recognizing that you're blessed. Even the, the ability to recognize that you're blessed is a blessing. Right? That's number one. Number two, ask Allah to forgive you. How many sins do we do? How many sins on... Right now, even just this podcast, where we, Wallahi subhanAllah, how many sins have we probably committed? We don't even know, right? SubhanAllah. The Prophet sallallahu when when the Sahaba sat with him, they said, mm-hmm. we, we would count him saying, Astaghfirullah a hundred times. In one sitting, they're just talking. Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. And, he's, and by the way, he's still talking to them. He's still preaching to them. He's still having conversation with them. And he would say it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Prophet ﷺ was meticulous in saying, Astaghfirullah. Why is it, even though he has no sins, like we said, it's because he's grateful. But how is it, now forget us who have so many sins, more than the form of the sea in sins. How many times do we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us? So that I think that would be the best advice that I think that I could give to anybody this Ramadan. And I think also that's the that's what I'm trying to that's my mindset this Ramadan. Allahu Akbar. No, what about you, man? Has, I want to hear something man, from you too. I want to I want to benefit some advice from you. What advice would you give this Ramadan? Man, subhanAllah. How can I how can I follow that, brother? <laughs> no, but I nah, don't do that. I, <laughs> no, but no doubt. I feel like just like I think for me, bro, one thing that I definitely need to prioritize is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, subhanAllah, I think, uh, I know know some people, they always give this analogy, like this is something directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, if we were given a text message from someone we loved or even a letter, a handwritten letter, we would take our time, we would enjoy it, we would revere it. But how many of us, the Quran is just sitting, you know, waiting for us to read it. And I think that is a, um, I think that is something that I'm gonna pay especially more attention to, like especially my memorization. I know I mentioned growing up, I wasn't really put in, you know, madrasa. I was very inconsistent with that, and um, you know, public school and all that. But now as I got older, it's becoming more and more like, especially like later in high school, I was like, man, I really need to, you know, take the dean more serious. And like even now, like when you talk about sins, bro, you know, I can just go on um, when. When I was in high school and after I was getting ready for college, I said to myself, bro, you know, the brother is uh, free. He got a whip. You know, there's a lot of freedom afforded to me. And I'm afraid and I'm afraid that I won't be able to refrain 
from a lot of the temptations. And I don't know if you know this, but I mentioned on the podcast before, like I got married, uh, I had a son from that. And unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out with his mother and X, Y, and Z. But Alhamdulillah, I got married because of, you know, something that I saw was a a test for me, right? And, you know, I did that out of sincere intent. And Alhamdulillah, I got protected from so much. And the barakah that I got from that, subhanAllah, I can't even imagine. Like yeah. even though it didn't work out, like the blessing that I got of that is is so amazing, and the the I was able to um, fortify a lot of my practice in the deen, my my love of the deen, my appreciation of the deen. So I think just for this Ramadan, you know, slowing down from uh, from you know things and really trying to cultivate a, a bond with the Book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, praying you know tahajjud, uh, praying in the nighttime, calling out to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and just building that. That connection uh, with, with the deen But you know I think for a lot of people bro There's a sense of guilt And you know you mentioned that earlier There's people who have guilt but they don't drop the values Man I think a good thing We can like kind of tie it all together with Is how can we use that guilt In a healthy way uh, yeah. Approaching this month of Ramadan uh, To purify ourselves And, and to, to live a, Inshallah a life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is pleased with and we can tie that all together Inshallah um, <clears throat> says he talks about uh, guilt, depression, negative feelings um, mm. as being two types. Um, one that is related to dunya and one that, that is related to akhirah. So negative feelings related to akhirah, sorry, negative re- feelings related to dunya could even itself multiply in multiple different categories. But if the negative feelings that you feel the sadness, the depression, the regret um, that you feel mm-hmm. is one that is connected to the dunya, then it generally serves you no purpose except to push you to Allah. Mm. Unless if it's pushing you back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So like, for example, divorce is a very tough situation to go through. I, right. Like I was there for some of my friends going through divorce and subhanAllah, like it's a very tough thing to go through. And if you look at the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah specifically, one of the places where Allah talks at length about divorce and the rulings regarding divorce, there's an ayah that just happens to be situated in between two ayahs that talk about divorce. Be mindful, excuse me, be mindful of your prayers, especially the middle prayer, and stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala humbly. So, in the midst of all of this divorce talk that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought in the Quran, Allah reminds us to pray. Why is that? It's to turn us back to Him at the end of the day. Mm. The toughness that you feel from these negative things that happen in the dunya, ultimately is supposed to make you go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the first type of negative feeling. The second type of negative feeling, when it's connected to the akhirah, is the best. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. Wallahi, billahi, wallahi. If you feel your heart, you know, you feel bad, you feel tightness, you feel anxious. When you miss a salah, that's a good thing. If you feel anxious that you go to sleep that night without praying all five prayers, wallahi, that's a good thing. If you feel regretful after you did a sin, wallahi, that's a good thing. If you feel any type of negative feeling connected to sins or not doing good deeds, wallahi, that's the best feeling. Say alhamdulillah. There's people that, wallahi, there's people that do zina, they don't even, they don't care anymore. They don't feel guilty anymore. 
they don't feel guilty anymore subhanallah there's people that commit there's people that leave off salah with not without a care in the world Mm. There's people that 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 indulge, wallah, indulge in sins. Muslims, raised Muslim, taught the deen. People who might even know more Quran and Hadith than us, but they they get into it, and when they get into it, they don't feel a single thing. But the fact mm. that you feel something is special. Alhamdulillah. Allah swears by that. You know, Allah subhanahu wa taala when he when he swears oaths in the Quran, they're usually things that are huge. You know what I mean? Like Allah right. subhanahu wa taala swears by the night, the day, time. These things are like big concepts. One of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by is the day of judgment. Allah says, La uqsimu bi yawmil qiyamah. Nay, I swear by the day of judgment. Wala uqsimu bi nafsil lawamah. Do you know what a nafsil lawamah is? Mm. A nafsil lawamah is the soul that is blaming, constantly blaming itself, at odds with itself, constantly. Allah swears by the day of judgment. Up next, He says, I swear by the soul that blames itself, always at wits. Man, I should have done this sin. I should not have done this sin. Constantly blaming itself. If that don't show you how important that type of soul, that type of regret is, then I don't know what is. So if you think that by not feeling regretful is a good thing, well, it's not. It's the best thing. You can feel, feeling regret is the best thing. Mm. It's the best thing that could happen to you. Because that it regret has that to fuel. push you. Yeah, it gives you the fuel to, to, to ask Allah to forgive you. Because when you feel regretful and you ask Allah to forgive you, the feeling of happiness from that forgiveness that you get is greater than anything in the world. It's the best feeling in the world, inshallah. That's that's how I'm gonna, that's how I'm gonna end it too, because I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta get Allah up and go to class too. Allah yeah, that is so beautiful, Subhanallah. May Allah uh, reward you and bless you for all you know, us, coming on and sharing all the khair that you've been able to provide here. Alhamdulillah. And may Allah, you know, Amen. allow us to reach the month of Ramadan and be able to benefit Amen. from that blessed month. Uh, inshallah, I just want to ask, where can people, our listeners, uh, you know, find you and connect with you? Inshallah. Uh, they can find me at Muhammad C. Noor on all of my socials. I'm one of those people that's like organized. I have the same name in all my socials. So <laughs> M-O-H-A-M-E-D-C, like the, the letter C, N-O-O-R, Muhammad C. Noor on everything. Um, but yeah, Jazakumullah, bro, appreciate you for having me. Uh, wallahi, this was a pleasure of mine, and I feel like wallahi, we barely even scratched the surface on our conversation. Allah. So, inshallah, maybe we hey, you're gonna be one of our regular guests, inshallah. Inshallah, for sure. Inshallah. <laughs> for sure. This no, conversation was alhamdulillah, very beautiful one. Alhamdulillah, no alhamdulillah. May Allah accept it from us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put this on our, on, our, on, our, on our scale of good deeds. No doubt, inshallah. I mean, I mean. Uh, for those who are listening, uh, inshallah, uh, I appreciate you guys. Uh, Thank you again for uh, Muhammad for joining us and inshallah we'll see you guys on our next week's episode. Assalamu alaikum.